When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Aloha, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network, where we discuss the entertainment of the unexplained. As always, I am your host, Aaron Sagers, a journalist, author, Researcher of all things weird. I can currently be seen on Travel Channel and Discovery Plus's Paranormal Caught on Camera, now airing its fifth season. And this show that I'm going to be talking about today, I really enjoyed the first season of it. And at Den of Geek, interviewed the director and writer behind the first season. And I'm glad that we are now back in the video and audio mediums to or media to discuss it to discuss cursed films too now this is a five-part documentary series it's currently streaming on the shutter horror platform and you know i am a fan of shutter i don't even work for them but i feel like i should because i'm constantly promoting what they do i like what they do over there cursed films 2 explores the myths and legends behind some of Hollywood's notoriously cursed horror film productions. And obviously we talk a lot about the paranormal and supernatural and obviously paranormal pop culture. And Cursed Films, too, really does a nice job of looking at the legends and lore of these films and then also breaking it down and parsing it and looking at maybe the stories behind the stories And maybe sometimes what looks like a curse could actually just be a series of unfortunate events. It's a really fascinating series. And this next season, season two, takes a look at Wizard of Oz, Rosemary's Baby, Stalker, The Serpent and the Rainbow, and Cannibal Holocaust. And the docuseries also includes interviews with notable names such as uh, Adam Savage, formerly of Mythbusters, Oscar-winning cinematographer, Roger Deakins, actor Bill Pullman from The Serpent and the Rainbow, and so many more. And the folks we're talking to today is the writer and director, as I mentioned, Jay Cheel, as well as executive producer uh, Brian Robertson. And we have these guys ready for us right now. So I'm going to bring them into the talk. And Brian and Jay, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you guys doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for having us. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great day. Loving it today. A, a loving it. Great day. I like to hear that. I like to start <laughs> off on a positive note. I guess the the question to begin with is just for you guys growing up as kids, what were the the superstitions or whatnot that you observed? Just, you know, the were you the type of kids that would not open the umbrella in the in indoors or cross the you know uh, the path of a, a black cat et cetera et cetera what was the stuff that you were actually very superstitious about as children or maybe even now the things that you observe well i i think as a kid i wasn't really a superstitious kid i know i had an intense fear of nuclear holocaust that's not a superstition, though. Um, <laughs> classic, classic yeah. superstition. <laughs> and Thankfully, <laughs> long behind us. Never again will we have oh, to even no. think about that. Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, and, you know, with, with the Wizard of Oz episode, as a kid, the thing that affected me from that film was the tornado. And then realizing my grandmother was like, I remember us walking, and I, and I was just like, those aren't real tornadoes. And she's like, they are real, Jay. And Santa Claus isn't real. And my mind was blown and I was 
afraid of windstorms ever since. But in terms of like superstitions, I, I don't think, I think I just like, I'm a rule breaker. I broke all the rules. I always have been, always will be. So right. Brian is a superstitious person though. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not that superstitious. Uh, you keep, he keeps, you keep your, uh, when we were filming, whenever I would visit his room in the hotel, he kept his room extremely hot. Yeah. 24, 24 degrees, which I felt like it was some sort okay. of superstitious choice. Yeah. Keeping, yeah. Keeping the, uh, the demons out. Um, I, think the, I think the demons like the heat or maybe yeah, they like the cold. Depends on which demon you're. It's a mixed no, I, uh, I grew up with cats. So I was never, uh, one to stay away from black cats. I, was fond of black cats, but I, uh, I certainly didn't walk under ladders. That was something that I stayed away from. And I still, to this day, knock on wood, uh, every so often. And I, and sometimes if I spill salt, I will throw salt over my shoulder and I don't know where that comes from. I have no idea when I picked that up, but, uh, that's something I do to this day. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I confuse superstitions with OCD. It's right. just like, you know, I, I Jay flicks on the switch, uh, three or four times. I'm, I'm just superstitious. <laughs> it's, it is one of those things that, you know, the, the touching wood, the, the knocking on wood, it's just, it, that's so easy to do that. Yeah. You're just like, you know what? Yeah. Maybe it's just superstition, but it's, but what, you know, it's literally, it's you know, so there's, there's, easy to there's knock wood on that it's, knock. why not? Yeah. If you know, if you can, if you can like, correct a jinx by knocking on wood just do it yeah but the irony there is i think 80 percent of the time people think they're knocking on wood it's not actually wood yeah this my desk is like it's like compressed cardboard (laughs) right does 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 sort of particle board count as wood like there's there's fibers yeah yeah yeah, i don't know this i mean this is actually this is actually kind of that it leads into sort of the mission of cursed films because going into this, and I think we talked about this before Jay, but going into this, how did your definition of what a curse in a cursed film evolve or change? Because even when we say curse, it's, it's a big word, but there's so many, there's so much to unpack with that, that word. So when you were approaching the films for this season, how did your definition of what a curse was evolve or change? Yeah, I, I think it for this season, it's definitely more of that feeling of something being cursed where everything is going wrong and you can't help but say to yourself, it feels like this is this production is cursed. And I, I think the definition really, it, the, the, the way it changes is based on the perspectives of our interview subjects. Um, there are some some episodes this season where there were people who thought that there was some strange coincidences and mystical things happening connected to the films and others did not. You know, as people have pointed out, often the stories that these legends uh, come from are, are, are kind of stories of like labor issues, you know, like mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz filming in 1938 and all of the different ways in which a production was, was kind of uh, um, set up and, and the, the lack of concern for things that we definitely would be concerned about nowadays because they didn't know back then. And, um, you know, that, that is kind of the way, I think this season has expanded the definition of cursed mm-hmm. a little bit. And the hope is that I, the first season can work as a bit of a primer in terms of everything that we talked about, about, you know, why we look for patterns and coincidence and synchronicity. And you can carry that into season two as a bit of a tool of your own to be critically thinking critically. Brian, do you care to add to that about what is a, what is a curse for season two? Um, yeah, no, I think we were, I think Jay, Jay pretty much summed it up there. Like we were season two became more about like, cursed film productions and Mm. and and it really has to do yeah with with preventable accidents uh and illnesses um prevalent in these productions uh which really just has to do with 
sort of like when films are being made in certain eras, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I, I want to circle back to that. Uh, the as far as what the problems that the you know whether it's misfortune versus an actual curse. I I, I kind of want to touch on you. You mentioned Jay the tornadoes and your your grandmother giving you the double whammy of Santa's not real, but tornadoes are. That's that's a lot for a kid to digest. That actually directly that's connected to your 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 uh, your films uh, twisted right uh, about an urban legend involving a tornado in a movie theater. That so you already had a little bit of a background in this notion of of curses before you entered into this project. Yeah, I. I... I think the the short film Twisted that I made, which is basically about an urban legend in my hometown, which suggested that our local drive-in was hit by a tornado during a screening of the movie Twister. And further to that, the idea that it hit the screen during the scene in Twister where, where a drive-in was hit by a, <laughs> a tornado. Um, and, and, you know, I, I wanted to talk to people who claim they were there, employees who were working, and figure out how this story spread and why so many people believed it, um, and not necessarily debunk it. And I, I think that's the key, is just allowing the subjects to guide the conversation. And when a, when our show, Cursed Films, covers a movie that you know has been talked about in this way, we are not making a statement in any way that we think this is cursed or don't think it's cursed. Our interest is why do these people think it's cursed? Um, so that I think that's an important distinction. And that was kind of set up in that short film. Mm-hmm. Brian, when you're, when you're interviewing people or even when you're just out and about in the world, I think that, pe- that people can observe certain coincidences and say, okay, that was, that was a coincidence. And then when multiple things start happening or the eerier the coincidence seems to be, the more people have a hard time just writing it off. What, what do you think is the threshold? Like what, how many incidents have to happen in order for, I know from my perspective, from both a journalistic perspective, but also someone that studies like folklore and whatnot, it's typically that rule of threes. But for you, when you're talking to people, how much has to happen before their brain starts processing tragedy and coincidence as a curse. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think that it it it's not a coincidence that people go to these conclusions quicker on in genre films. Like, you know, there's there's accidents that happen on sets on all genres of of films, and and it you know like. Uh, labor issues, you know, uh, on in dramas and comedies. But when you're making a horror film, it's very easy to make these connections and have your mind go there right away. So if someone's killed on the set of a horror film, uh, I think that people just go right to, well, this is like a nefarious sort of situation here. There's like bigger demons or what have you at play. Um, I think it, yeah, it just, it, it, it really has to do with the genre. <laughs> you froze there for a second. That's oh, okay. really? Did I? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I just think that, yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's easier to make those connections in the genre world and horror films, horror based things than other, you know, other genres of films. Sure. And I mean, there is this notion within people that are on the belief side of this spectrum would say that there's no there's no acting when it comes to a seance or summoning the devil, you know, or or demons or, you know, toying with evil that that's you can't you can't do a dress rehearsal or practice that, that, you know, just because you have cameras rolling, it's still the real deal. That's that seems to be something or would you say that that's something that is ingrained with a lot of people that are caught up in these cursed movies that, oh, well, shoot, we were we were toying with these supernatural forces. Maybe we really were toying with them and it wasn't just for a production for the believers. That's that's something that's come up, I think, in both seasons, Mm -hmm. this idea that you're dealing with uh, 
mystical issues or or themes and you're inviting in darkness into the production um it's like when actors in a film if their characters are getting married they film the marriage and afterwards they are now legally married and have to get divorced (laughs) it really blurs those lines but i mean that's kind of what this season is about I, i i have always described the first season as the rational versus the irrational and this one as the real versus the unreal Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is obviously applicable to the stories connected to the making of these films and mm-hmm. some of the claims or beliefs that, you know, something might be the result of a supernatural, some sort of supernatural interference. But it also looks at the idea of storytelling and, you know, the way in which we embellish. And when we get to the Cannibal Holocaust episode, that film directly breaks the contract with the audience by killing animals on screen so that you are no longer sure what's real and what isn't. And I think that is a good kind of thematic representation of this season Mm -hmm. of cursed films. Yeah. I mean, on that note, let's talk a little bit about the selection of films for this season. I think for the first season, you did a really nice job of adding more depth to some of the most classic uh, cursed films and uh we what, there was the exorcist there was poltergeist uh, you know the crow you covered a lot of ground with with the omen a lot of ground with these really notoriously cursed films for this second season heading into the second batch what was the selection process like was did you already know these were the ones that you wanted to hit did this kind of develop uh, as you were heading into production? Talk about just the cultivation a little bit about this next batch. Uh, Jay, why don't you start on that? And then Brian. Sure. Um, I mean, Stalker was one that was kind of a, a holdover from season one. Originally, we the season one was going to be three episodes with two films per episode, which looking back on it would have been insane. <laughs> it would have been like 22 minutes as well. Yeah, yeah. And event, you know, we moved away from that and did the five half hours. And in that process, Stalker got put aside and we always knew we wanted to see that through. So we did in this season and it's one of my favorite episodes. In terms of the other films, I mean, I, I kind of have described them as the B-sides and rarities to season one's greatest hits. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't a, a bad thing. I think in some cases, the B-sides and rarities are more interesting than the greatest hits. Um, and, you know, exploring, even though The Crow in season one isn't really horror, but it's kind of horror adjacent, something like The Wizard of Oz is in that same territory where there is imagery in there that I think is, you know, kind of associated with horror. And for many people as children, it might have been their first experience with horror imagery. But ultimately, it's known as a a fantasy film, a a family-friendly movie that everyone can gather around and watch. And I think that contrast was something we wanted to explore as well. Because as Brian mentioned, it's very easy to connect a curse to a film that is about the devil. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you look at a film that is intended to be light viewing and make you feel good and all of these horrible stories are connected to it that sort of contrast of ideas is the thing that i think makes that legend gives that legend legs um and it's it it turns it into a story that's kind of ironic and people want to tell so that was a consideration this season as well as that perspective um and also just making sure i always want to make sure we have great stories beyond the films and access to people that can tell them firsthand whenever possible and any sort of corners that we can explore that maybe haven't been touched before or even things that have been, you know, uh, discussed, but maybe not from the perspective of someone who was there. It's really about giving people context to all of these stories and I think that's what hopefully elevates it from beyond sort of an exploit, uh, an exploitation of these myths and legends 
in a sort of bullet point fashion that just kind of gets you off a little bit on the thrill of these stories and gives you context as to what actually happened and why people believe them. Mm -hmm. Brian, what about as you were assembling this next batch where they're talking about some of the challenges that maybe you faced as far as access, uh, getting any kind of clearance for these (laughs) things, because as Jay said, like these, the strength of these stories, at least with this series is it's not just a series of bad things happen. It's that you guys have pushed it further by having these incredible interviews and really getting us deeper in on the story. So what are some of the challenges as far as getting access and clearing these movies for this second season? Yeah. Um, I think, well, I mean, what worked in our favor was that we had a first season to sort of point to in terms of what the, the intention of the show was. Mm -hmm. So you, when, you know, in season one, when you're trying to appeal to people to, uh, you know, participate in a show called curse films, you have to explain that it's not a superficial kind of very like rudimentary kind of run through of a Wikipedia list of curses in movies that you're actually doing something a little bit more uh, uh, in depth. And, um, and so, you know, on season two, we're working with, for instance, like with uh, the wizard of Oz, we have these people who are, you know, uh, the sons and daughters of these legendary actors and we were able to point to season one and, and sort of show them that this is what the show is. This is what our intentions are. And uh, I think that it like worked in our favor in terms of bringing them in and making them feel comfortable in terms of what we were aiming to to do. Um, but I don't know, Jay, and other challenges? What, what, what do you think? Uh, what, what yeah, I, season? I, I mean, I, I, I guess with Oz, like the fact that it's a movie from the late thirties means there's practically, there's no one no to one's talk yeah. to, yeah. but the kids are so connected to that legacy that they, they are, were, they were wonderful to be able to talk to them about their parents and the film itself. So that worked out. Um, and it's just a matter of, I, I find that, you know, it's great to get some of the bigger names, like you'd mentioned, Bill Pullman and <clears throat> Roger Deakins and um, people connected to the, some of these films that will draw people in, but, it's also really fun to, to, to put the camera on people who maybe don't normally get to tell these stories or at least don't get to tell it in a way that's honest. You know, we don't go to them saying like, look, we want this to feel spooky. So can you kind of just like play along and, you know, it, it, they're guiding the tone of the interview. Uh, So they have all the elbow room they need to be able to shape their narrative the way they Mm -hmm. want to, and that in turn shapes the the narrative of the show mm-hmm. and the tone of the show. So um, I think it's a really sort of organic process in that way. Yeah. And you, you get information that's not just total soundbitey when you're getting to people that aren't normally interviewed for these types of things. Was there yeah. anyone that you did try to get an interview with that just it couldn't make it happen? Yeah, we were we were trying to get Mia Farrow for the Rosemary's Baby episode, and it it seemed like it was more connected to the fact that when we were asking, the Woody Allen documentary was about to come out, so they said she's just not doing interviews right now, but appreciates the uh, interest. Um, that was one of the main ones. Um, there In was the some episode where we look at this film, Cannibal Holocaust, and there's a we did a good job of actually finding, you know, most of the actors in that film, but there's a, an actor, Perry Perkinen, who after Cannibal Holocaust sort of retired from filmmaking. I think he made one film after, after that film. And he just was, he had disappeared. He, he lives in the U S somewhere and was just totally not available to us. So he's sort of like the one glaring omission in that episode. How, how, what's the what's the limit as far as for you guys going too far down the curse i mean you mentioned mia farrow like you could if you were to tell this story you could then connect her story and woody allen and everything with the curse you can 
connect the fact that Roman Polanski is in exile. Uh, you could connect that to a curse, even though there was the actions of a very mortal human person. But how do you not, where do you, what's the cutoff point as far as, okay, this is, this is the, the box that we're kind of looking at as far as this curse goes, and we're not going to keep going down this rabbit hole uh, and, and to our, the point of our own insanity. I think, I think when it contradicts the, the sort of thematic concerns of that episode Mm -hmm. Um, with Rosemary's baby. I mean, that's, that's definitely a, the Polanski of it all is, you know, something that you kind of have to really think about. And um, I, I think there are some people that really wanted us to get into that um, with, which makes sense. But for me, the story of that film is very much, about that time mm-hmm. um you know the episode is is both feet are in 68 and 69 and that's really the perspective of that episode and outside of you know maybe victoria vetri being someone whose story extends beyond that um we wanted i i, I wanted to keep it from that perspective so anytime and I guess kind of hope that the audience, you know, can re- can can kind of sense the subtext there. And by, you know, people ref- talking about Polanski specifically in that time as this up and coming, fresh faced, new, brilliant filmmaker, um, that in itself is is so far away from kind of what generally people think of Polanski now even though I think referring to someone as a genius, we've learned time and time again, that really has no meaning in terms of their character. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, geniuses are often horrible, uh, especially yeah. men. Um, so, you know, just because someone re- talks about him having been thought of as a genius at the time he made Rosemary's baby, doesn't mean that the show is ignoring the fact that he went on to do what he did. Um, but it's very much set in that, that period. Um, it's about the paranoia of the late sixties and this idea of people looking for alternative spiritual outlets that they can, you know, use to make sense of what was happening at the time. And I just wanted to keep it focused on that. Um, and I, I, I think you, I think you did it well. I, 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 I really enjoyed that episode and I think that you handled it effectively. I'm, I'm curious about when you're dealing with these tragedies, let's face it. And this is not, this is not a slight because the Rosemary's baby episode, you talked to the gentleman that runs the, the uh, true crime and ghost tour. And mm-hmm. look, I mean, I, I work on paranormal TV. So, you know, there's an element of trading in on tragedy and you can do it in a way that's respectful of the story without becoming ghoulish. But there are also people that trade in on tragedy in a very ghoulish manner. Uh, I'll I'll address this to you, Brian, but also want to hear from you, Jay, like the rule of thumb, as far as when you're interviewing people about these stories, how, what is sort Mm -hmm. of the sensitivity and the balance to, hearing their story without giving a platform to someone that is really, let's face it, trying to, uh, you know, to feast on that tragedy. Uh, That is a ghoul. Yeah. um, It's a tough question. I mean, I think that we generally, we try not to interview people who do ghoulish things and benefit on, you know, the, tragedy of others in the rosemary's baby episode that's more about the dearly departed tour is more about the history of yeah of that area and that time and um scott michaels is like a perfect uh person to represent that like he's he's made a business of informing interested uh tourists um of this really rich history in beverly hills and los angeles and uh, I think that he does a good job in the episode. 
Yeah, and to be clear, I I don't think that he came across in that way. No, but, but I definitely think I think that that is a a danger. Yeah, when you start pursuing these kinds of stories, Jay, yeah. did you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 tough thing is just walking a line of not not cutting to a talking head that you know um, realigns everyone ethically. Every time there's something that comes up that is questionable. I, the hope is that there's enough there for people to kind of come to their own conclusions in, in many times in very obvious ways that what this is about is like the Rosemary's Baby episode is very much about tabloid culture. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the episode, Julian Wasser says, you know, this is LA access to the nth degree. And he's referring to a giant super mansion that was built in the footprint of the original Polanski home where the murders took place. But I think it, it, that refers, that is uh, relevant to the whole episode. Like Scott's refers to the Manson murders as something that is like, it's out of a movie. It involves rock stars and mm. movie stars. And it's the, the kind of, quintessential Los Angeles true crime story. And that town has also embraced that and turned it into that a little bit. Um, So I, you know, the hope is that by, by looking at the way in which something can be turned into a bit of a tabloid uh, narrative, we're, we're, we're covering that to comment on it, or at least to allow people within our show to comment on it. And I, as a documentary filmmaker, like this is where I hope that these episodes work more as, as documentary films than like rea- scripted reality or, or like, yeah. um, you know, something that you would see on, I don't want to despair, but history. Ch- I love Pawn stars. <laughs> I watch it on the history channel, but something that would be just very much like, the the spooky side of things without any context and and you know there i think there's a place for some of that stuff and it can be entertaining but for this because the subject matter can be very um unsettling i i want to kind of you know show that in a way that isn't easy as well you know like i i the the subject matter can seem trivial but the ways in which our subjects interface with it isn't always trivial. So when it's, you know, tough for them, I think it should be tough for the audience. Something that you, that I I was really quite impressed by with the first season is, you know, I was familiar with a lot of those stories. And as I said earlier, you added a lot more depth to these, these stories and the poltergeist story in particular was an episode that I refer to, honestly, when I'm, when I'm talking to other people, because I think you did it so masterfully, and you had that interview with uh, Craig Reardon. Uh, yeah. And there really is this, not that he needed to be vindicated, but there is this vindication of sorts about using the the skeletons. You know, there was an industry practice at the time. He wasn't doing something unethical or whatever. And, and that interview was very powerful. I thought that was a great episode. It is something that I refer to and will rewatch actually throughout the course of cursed uh, films uh, part two, but are there any, would you say this season, are there any kind of vindication stories like that, that you think you're really quite proud of that gives us another perspective on a personality that was caught up in these "Quote unquote cursed stories." Yeah, I mean the the I think the cannibal Holocaust episode gets into a little bit of that. Um, you know that that film is it's a notorious film. It was the production of it. It sounds like it was a nightmare, and at the center of all of it was uh, Francesca, who was like the only woman in the middle of the Amazon not the only woman, but at least in the film um, amongst her, her, you know, uh, stars that had to deal with a lot of the, uh, the, the kind of attitudes of the filmmaking at the time and the really 
kind of um, reckless uh, treatment of of her and and the rest of the crew. And I, I think that episode has has allowed her and other people involved with the film to talk very honestly about that experience. Um, so, you know, that, that was great, um, for them to be able to do that. And I mean, there, there is a moment in the serpent and the rainbow episode that was kind of an unexpected moment with Jonathan Craven, Wes Craven's son, where he talks very honestly about his relationship with his dad, which is, is, is a, 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 kind of powerful moment because that episode is really about the family that is created on a film set and the fact that all of the stuff they faced when they made that film in Haiti, they got through it because of a bond that was created Mm -hmm. amongst all of them. And at the center of that bond was Wes Craven. But for Wes's son, who was also on the crew, he was just watching from the sidelines, his dad, having this relationship with this crew that he couldn't quite have himself. So, you know, he got, he got to talk about that very openly and honestly. And I think Steve Rash in the the Oz episode, getting to talk about under the rainbow and his regrets with how that film came out. um, Also in Rosemary's baby, it's a small moment, but uh, we meet with Bruce Rathgeb who was shot, in the back by Victoria. And if you ever had looked that up or looked Victoria up, there was like a bunch of articles that were written that only referenced Bruce as like an ex rocker who was shot by uh, Victoria because she thought he was, you know, Charles Manson. And, and we tracked him down in LA and sat down with him in a studio. And it was a really nice moment to sit down with him and just tell his story and sort of where he came from and, um, and I was, yeah, I was quite happy that we, that we found him. Um, cause it, yeah, he gets, he gets a voice, you know, and also and so I guess, Victoria, I mean, yeah, Victoria, yeah, sure. you know, Victoria is as it's evident in the show, she, she's, you know, not remembering things as well and, or has blocked some things out. And she has this partner, Mark, who is kind of her rock and they have this, unusual relationship where he looks after her and but they're a great team and um that's just the reality of that story i mean she her story has i I don't think it's something that's been told a lot but where it has been told it's been embellished in ways that are completely false and it's been taken out of context and the suggest you know the the story that is out there is that Polanski gave her the gun to protect herself from Manson. And when she shot her husband, she was having a delusion that he was Charles Manson. None of that was the case. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a lot more in many ways banal than that. It was a, a dispute that was the result of probably some, I, I don't know. I don't, don't want to speak on her behalf what it was a result of, but it it was something that it was more is more it, it is a story that is like tabloid fodder you know yeah. even yeah. in our show i like we we can't help but put these stories out there and also be you know putting them out into the world the hope is that we're giving it context um while doing that and using it to comment on comment on these sorry i have an empty piece tea beside me um, i'm i'm saying it's a curse that that can yeah, yeah. falling Boy. over definitely curse <laughs> anyways uh yeah so no that. and her story victoria's story it's that right there that what we saw in the rosemary's babies episode uh of of victoria's story is kind of a microcosm of a a woman that I don't want to say her life is cursed, but certainly has experienced some tragedy. Like that could be a much larger story on its own. Mm -hmm. uh, Just what she has experienced and the trauma she has experienced. So I think that I, I, I think that that was really well done. I'm curious if either of you at this point, because we keep talking about coincidences and bad labor practice and, and I think learning a lot about how 
terrible. <laughs> the 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 dream machine of Hollywood is is not is more of a nightmare a lot of times based on how people are just treated. But have has there been a series of stories around any of these movies or maybe one that we've not seen yet that you think does cross over into so bizarre, so surreal that maybe it is beyond coincidence and 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 is connected to some sort of curse if you will brian why don't you start on that uh it's uh i don't know about this season i think like the the strangest thing for me happened on season one and it was around the omen and it was around the accident where the production designer was decapitated next to a sign that said omen 66.6 kilometers and that was the one thing we heard it from the mouth of uh richard donner who mm-hmm. told us the story in a very serious way and uh and it, it was just creepy it, it was the one time that i was like oh this is this seems a little bit too insane um but for this season i don't i don't think so personally um I, yeah, Maybe I mean, I, there's, some, there's some mythological things go like some like around Stalker with Tarkovsky possibly being a bit of a, uh, you know, like a, him predicting the Chernobyl disaster. Uh, that kind of stuff is a bit eerie, but I'm not sure. What, what about you, Jay? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the Omen one has the the largest number of strange things connected to it. Yeah. And they seem the most unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but it, I always remind myself that these stories are coming from people like Richard Donner, who is, uh, you know, teller. remembered now he's passed, but remembered as like, a one of Hollywood's best popular, uh, film storytellers, you know, like, he, he knows when there's a good story behind something. So he's, he's making sure that he's had 40, he had at that point, 40 plus years of retelling that story to refine it into something that would have the effect it had on us. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's that, but I, I do think that at the very least, the idea of people's own belief in curses, allowing themselves to, become cursed because they believe in it so much that they start to um, uh, subconsciously self-sabotage in weird ways. And the more they see evidence of that, they start thinking it's real. And um, that fascinates me that, that, you know, that can happen that, you know, someone could like in the first season talking about sports as being such a um, superstitious uh, endeavor where, you know, players wear certain things and do certain things before the game. And if they forgot their favorite, you know, uh, hat or whatever, um, they go out on the field and that's in their mind and then it distracts them and it can have a real effect. And if that's the case, then that kind of is a curse, you know, like that it, that's kind of real because they believe it enough for it to have affected them. Yeah. There's Um, a, in in episode four in Serpent and the Rainbow, there's uh, the original author of the of the script attended a voodoo ceremony in Haiti with the crew, and felt that he had been cursed by this ceremony, or he had someone had been uh, someone had hexed him or or put a put a voodoo curse on him, and he had a breakdown and actually had to leave Haiti uh, because of it, and that's very similar. Yeah, they I. I tend to say when people believe they're cursed, they are, they, yeah. they effectively are. Once you start yeah. internalizing that notion, then, then everything fits that pattern. Mm-hmm. They, I think there's something kind of, I don't know if it's ironic or amusing about the fact that when we talk about cursed movies, we're talking about movies that by and large are successful movies or at least iconic in some way. So you have to have made a mark in your artistic endeavor to then be considered a curse. I mean, I don't know if that means evil wants to be known because, you know, why would you curse a flop? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, we, we kind of, we got into that with the Omen episode where 
you know, Mace Newfeld says it wasn't a curse. It was a blessing because the film was a hit. And then, you know, we start going down that path of, well, what if, what if, because all of these things were near misses, like it was people almost being blown up by an IRA bombing. It was people almost getting on a plane that crashed. What if the devil was actually protecting them? so that yeah. the the film could be made and the devil's message could be spread, you know? Um, so it is an interesting way to look at it. And for the most part, um, a lot of the films that we cover, you're right, they were successful films, except the big standout there is Twilight Zone, the movie, which right. was, you know, a complete disaster um, beyond what happened on on during the making of it. But... One thing I wish that I could have included in that episode, I saw some footage of people being, there was a news story when the film came out because, you know, obviously this tragedy was connected to it and it was just people coming out of the theater and the news crew interviewing them, asking what they thought. And every one of them was like, I couldn't watch it and not think about what happened. Yeah. It just completely, you know, it, it feels like that film shouldn't have been released, to be honest. Yeah. And yet it still airs. It, yeah. And, and, you know, and so it's perhaps, you know, perhaps the curse doesn't always have long legs because, you know, now 40 years later, it's still known for that. But yeah, Animal uh, Holocaust is still banned in yeah. uh, New Zealand and Australia. No, Australia, it's, it's, it's fine, but New Zealand, it's New banned Zealand. and Shudder is in New Zealand. So apparently, that episode can't air oh, in not, New Zealand. Yeah, they're not going to release that episode out there. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I know you guys uh, have, I, I've read a little bit about, uh, I think, Brian, you mentioned uh, Atuk was one that if there was a, a season three, hopefully there will be a season three, that's one that you would like to do. Kind of give me the rundown of if you have the the wish list of, films for another season what would you do and would you also have any interest in sort of expanding this notion to Mm -hmm. other pop culture curses that are not specifically connected to a film such as i don't know james dean's car the superman curse things of that nature yeah those things james dean's car was going to be an element in the first season right jay we had we were going to go that down and, and talk about that yeah um yeah, I mean, season one is like the greatest hits, as Jade said, and season two is kind of expands a little bit. There's some horror adjacent stuff and the Soviet science fiction film. And season three might be uh, Three Men and a Baby and uh, <laughs> Waterworld. Uh, Waterworld's a good one. Um, Etook obviously would be a good one. We have a we have a, a running list of films that we uh, we've been looking at for the last two years, and you know, yeah. we have we have. Yeah. Some, it, it kind of starts with that sort of like first conversation of like, Oh, it'd be cool to do this one. And what do we have? And and then it's like, what do we have access to? And, you know, someone who worked on Serpent in the Rainbow worked on Waterworld. So we, there's some stuff there we can access. And then you look at the stories connected to it. And is there anything like here that's valuable, maybe on a bigger thematic scale? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it starts with the film and just those few, the few bullet points connected to it. But after, you know, doing some research, the important thing is finding those characters and trying to figure out what the the value is in telling that story beyond just, you know, putting visuals to mm-hmm. these, this information. Yeah, and the... And, and sort of like I said about curses having long legs, sometimes a curse just sort of burns out as far as, you know, the super, the classic Superman curse is one that for a while it seemed like, okay, everyone that played Superman was going to die. Well, or maybe they would just have a bad career or maybe, and then it just keeps, you know, well, maybe yeah. this, maybe that. And then now it's just <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, just Henry just Cavill spread. goes on to be Witcher, you know, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. not I mean, really the, that much of a curse. The digital mustache removal. Yes. Oh yeah, that's that's, that's the curse. <laughs> that's uh, curse. The James Dean one is one that I I study a lot of this weirdness, and that's that whole collection of stories is one that I do find truly bizarre and eerie. I don't know if I would say cursed, uh, but definitely that is a peculiar one. So mm-hmm. I mean, that one's 
interesting because it's it's a an item. Yeah. And same with Atuk, the idea of a script, script. kind of being the the curse. And I I think that's interesting when you know, you, you like looking at an actual thing that people think is cursed and and filming that thing and the if it's trying to understand if there's any power coming off of it. I mean, it's kind of the inverse of the ruby slippers. Yeah. Uh, moment in in our Oz episode that everyone sees these slippers and it does have a, a uh, an effect on people and I'm sure you know Zach Baggins every time people go into his museum they're walking out thinking like I hope I didn't touch anything in there or you know look yeah. at anything wrong and the idea of like rituals is such that you know to get a curse according from you know more from my my kind of swimming pool is that someone has to put it on you or it's an object that carries some sort of bad juju for a reason for, you know mm-hmm. there's an origin uh, to the evil mm-hmm. instead of it just sort of surrounding something but uh who knows who knows how it happens if it happens whatever but um i don't know i'm going to i'm going to keep touching wood uh just to be safe or my particle board uh i mean you know. you've, you've got a lot you've of wood, uh, wood you behind just... you there <laughs> yeah well this is more of a vinyl representation of wood <laughs> oh really so, it, it looks good on camera <laughs> i think i think it it counts on some level i mean if i believe i'm cursed then i'm also going to believe that's wood like well i mean it's it's kind of like the a, a version of doing a ritual on camera that is not a real ritual, but going through all the motions and it having some effect. So there you go. Yeah. And I'm uh, just off camera as my Ted dancing uh, cutout. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, I'm going to ask you guys to hang out backstage for a moment, but uh, I appreciate your time today. And certainly uh, writer, director, executive producer, Jay Cheel, and also executive producer, Brian Robertson behind cursed films Two. Currently streaming on Shutter. I really enjoy this show and I enjoy you guys and appreciate you guys coming on here to talk about it. So thank you guys so very much. Thank you. It was and, fun uh, talking again. Yeah. And I want to say to everyone out there, thank you for listening and joining another Talking Strange. Don't forget to first check out Shutter and check out Cursed Films 2. Can't re- cannot recommend that enough. And also don't forget to subscribe and download Talking Strange each week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also check out our video interviews at youtube.com slash denofgeekus and follow the live streams on twitch.tv slash denofgeektv. And give me a follow on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Patreon at Aaron Sagers and at TalkStrangePod on Twitter. Until next time, my friends, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird.